want you to turn with me in God's word today. And I actually, we're going to do kind of a Bible sword drill in a sense, because I've got three different scriptures I actually want to, uh, us to look at. We're going to begin here in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. So I'll invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn with me there. And uh, let's stand as we receive this word together. And I'm going to read through chapter 2, verse 3. Then we're going to turn to Ephesians 3, and I'll give some direction from there. So as we stand together, hear God's word for us this morning. Peter writes, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me invite you now to turn back to Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to begin here with verse, uh, verse 9. Paul the Apostle writes, And to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery for which ages past was hidden in God who created all things, his intent was that now through the church the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then one more passage this is out of Mark chapter 2, and I'm going to begin here with verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, Mark, I, of course, we were talking about Mark last week. Remember the story of he and Barnabas and Paul, and then uh, Barnabas wouldn't give up on Mark. So we have this story here because of Barnabas, and, and uh, it's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, conclusion to that. But let me read this in Mark chapter 2, verse 1. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up took his bat and walked out in full view of them all. 
May God add his blessing to that word. You can be seated. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, I am really excited. Let me see. I thought I brought my brochure up here. Uh, yeah, here it is. I'm really excited to be uh, kind of outlining and presenting to you our discipleship program for this fall. We've been working with a team of folks all summer to kind of design what we would want to do and accomplish this fall in terms of discipleship. And, and as you know, I hope that our mission is to love people to life in Jesus Christ. And so this brochure that you've been given this morning is really an invitation to participate in what we're imagining together. And we're calling this Friends Alive, Strengthening Faith, Building Community. Now, this includes uh, something you know we talked about a couple of weeks ago, Gary Cron at 9.30, by the way. We're going to move our service at 9.15 to 9.30 starting September 10th. So from then on, we'll, we'll plan to meet at 9.30, give you another 15 minutes. But 9.30, Gary Cron is going to be doing a, a class on, on abiding in Christ, which is going to specifically talk about spiritual disciplines and growing in your, your faith. But there's there's more than that. We're also on, on Sunday mornings in the 11 o'clock hour, so right after this service, we're encouraging people who would like to participate to grab some coffee, maybe a donut or two, and, and sit down and, and have a sermon discussion. There's going to be a sermon discussion group that's going to take place in our Family Life Center after each and every service. Uh, TJ and, and, uh, is going to be helping with that. A couple of our guys are going to be sharing. Uh, Mark Brewster is going to kind of lead and facilitate this. But it's a way to think a little more deeply about what was said, to ask some questions, and, and to engage your neighbor about what God was speaking to you during that that particular hour. But then on Wednesday nights, we're having what we're calling, which is kind of a family night in a sense, where everyone from the family, youth, children, are going to come together. We're going to have a meal at six o'clock right here in the church. We're going to worship then together shortly after that for a few moments of prayer. Maybe you have a concern or a praise we'll share as a community. And then Pastor David and I are going to be teaching on the book of Galatians and freedom in Christ that we experience. And so, so it's kind of a, a, another opportunity for us to grow deeper and, and further together as a community. Then there's more. We keep going here. Next month, we're going to initiate, uh, starting really uh, initiating what we're calling growth group uh, Bible studies and fellowships. And Kim uh, Klima has a team of people who are helping her with this. But we're looking for hosts and leaders right now. Consider this, again, your invitation, because Jesus Christ, listen to this, loves the church. And since he loves it, I think it's okay that we love it too. And that means that we have to work at loving each other. I heard a story uh, a while ago about a little boy who fell out of his bed in the middle of the night. His mother rushed to the room when she heard him cry out and she asked him, what happened? And the little boy said, I don't know. I, I guess I just stayed too close to where I got in. I like that picture, too close to where I got in. You realize that that might be true of a lot of us this morning. I think sometimes when it comes to our faith, we do the same thing. 
We're, we're staying at the same place we got in. And we think, well, you know, I, I, I said the sinner's prayer. I made a commitment. We show up. So we must be growing up. But as we head toward this fall season, I'm asking us as a church to really hunker down and get serious about taking the next step and make this commitment. To make this commitment, I will study God's word in community. I will study God's word in community. Now help me and listen to me as I kind of outline what I'm thinking. I love the story in Mark chapter 2 for a whole host of reasons that I won't get into this morning, but I do want to point out to you a couple of things that, that right off the bat as we think about this fascinating gospel story. First, I'd, I'd like you to imagine what is happening here. Jesus is teaching the word, apparently at his home. He's home. And the people around have a hunger to hear the word. They are excited about what Jesus is saying. And so when you study the early church in Acts 2, we see the same kind of thing happening. Acts 2, verse 42, says that the first Christians, the early Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, there's a lot I could say there, but I want to think about this word, devoted. It means that they adhered to the teachings of the apostles. They stuck to it like super glue. It was so important to them because the teaching of the apostles was really the teaching of Jesus. Now, North Olmsted Friends Church, I want you to know, is a community of one book. This book that I hold in my hand, we believe is the word of God. We believe it is so important to us because we believe it has given us an indication of how we might be saved. It gives us the roadmap of how that occurs. But it's even more than that. This salvation that you and I believe is, is a complete salvation. And so as we grow in Christ, we realize that this book has the answer to overcoming addiction, forgiving past abuses, transforming our attitudes and prejudices, dealing with temptation, enduring painful losses, and developing an in-depth relationships, knowing God's will for us and his nature and goodness it's the avenue by which we develop in holiness. Jesus said it this way. He said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In Capernaum that day, these people, they're hungry to receive the word, so much so that there is this large crowd. They're pressing in. The house is full. It's outside even full, listening in. And I just want to ask you this question. How hungry are you for God's word? First Peter 2 says that the word is nutritional milk for young Christians. You know, when a baby is born, if it's healthy, it craves milk on a regular basis. We have some families of newborns in our church, and they could tell you, and many of you remember those days, don't you, of, of, of the 3 a.m. 
wake-ups and having to feed that little girl or that little boy, but that means that they're healthy. It means that they're growing because it's food that will help them grow and be strong. Can we genuinely sing with the psalmist this morning, oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. A lot of Jesus' followers in our time have lost their appetite for God's word. You've seen perhaps over the years pitiful pictures of babies in impoverished countries suffering from malnutrition. You've seen those pictures of stomachs bloated and hollow faces. Now you would think that those starving children would be so very hungry. In fact, there's a terrible crisis going on right now in Azerbaijan that media hasn't really covered much, but uh, for Armenians, there are many, many people dying of hunger right now. But I've read that babies in some of these third world countries who haven't eaten for a long time, they actually lose their appetites. When relief workers come in, they have to force feed those infants little sips of milk and tiny morsels of food until their digestive system gets going again and they're nourished enough to start developing a hunger. Listen to me, a lack of appetite is a sign of a serious illness. Do you know that the same thing is true in the church? And, 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 and the reality is we can't force feed you, we, we we can't drag you to church or Sunday school or a Bible study, but, but in this community, we do want to create an environment where you can come to eat for your own spiritual survival. But, but let me ask you, or let me kind of outline maybe better to say how I think this has to happen. Notice here that the crowd is hungry. They're, they're, they're in tranced and want to hear God's word. They're packed in tight to hear Jesus. But notice this. In verse 4 it says, there is this paralytic who is completely dependent upon his friends. He's got four friends that are going to bring him to the meeting. But there's a problem. They can't get to Jesus and what's the reason? Because of the crowd. This crowd that loves Jesus, the crowd is hungry for his word, but they're keeping this man from Christ. Sometimes we think because we come to church on Sunday morning and are part of the crowd that we've connected with Jesus. Hey, we're here, we sang, we listened, we left. But the problem is, nothing changed. And so can I make this observation? I believe one of the greatest inhibitors to transformation in Christ, to authentic kingdom living, to allowing up there to come down here, is in fact the crowd. Because in a crowd, you can get lost. In a crowd, you don't have to be known. In a crowd, you can be alone. 
Do you know what it feels like to be alone in a crowd? Crowds come together for activity, don't they? They, they? they come to see a ball game, not to talk to you. There are work crowds and school crowds and church crowds. And we engage in crowds almost every day. And if you think about it, crowds have very little to do with community. It's kind of a pseudo-community, really, based on activity and superficiality. Because in a crowd, if someone talks to you, they might know your name, but it goes as deep as, hey, how, how you doing? And you say, fine, and they say, well, go Buckeyes, and that's about it. You ever notice that everybody is fine in a crowd? Everybody's fine in a crowd. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. No one knows your struggles. No one knows your victories. No one knows where you hurt. No one really knows what you're going to do this afternoon. And no one really cares. The irony is you're alone in the crowd. You know, that can happen right here, and it happens all the time. We come to this place where, you know, on a given Sunday, we might have a few hundred people between services on a Sunday morning and still feel alone. Now, let's be honest, that's the way some people like it. Uh, they don't want to be known. They don't want to get messy in relationships. They don't want to be held accountable. They don't want to take the risk of getting involved with, with someone else and someone else getting involved with them. You know, Pastor, I really don't need anyone. I'm fine. It's none of your business what's going on in my life. And, and, and though we might belong to the crowd, we're in isolation and we're far from the kind of community that God wants us to enjoy and he desires for his people. So what I want you to see in this story is the contrast between the crowds and these four friends. Because crowds can actually keep you from Jesus. The real Jesus, the transforming power of Jesus. No one can be transformed by the crowd. A lot of us make the mistake of looking at the church crowd and mistaking the church crowd for community. As long as I'm hanging out in the crowd, I must be fine. The crowd is going to actually, in fact, prohibit me from coming to a sense of accountability, to challenge, to relationship, to community that will transform my life. But friends listen, are the people who share and get involved in my life, and it goes beyond superficiality. They know who you are. They're invested in your life, and it's through your relationship with your friends that you're going to best be able to connect with Jesus. So here's the truest experience of the church Jesus said in Matthew 18, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. You notice it's about two or three, maybe four, five or six, not about crowds. 
This is so important. Jesus lives in this intimacy of real community. In fact, there is a way I experience the presence of Christ, the person of Christ, the healing of Jesus in the midst of maybe just two or three friends that I cannot experience all by myself. There's a way that I can connect to the power of Jesus only in the midst of two or three or maybe five or six. But I can never experience Jesus in the same way, he says, just all alone. So I want to challenge those of us who are introverts and say, I don't need anybody else. I want to ask you this morning, who carries you? Who knows the stuff that is going on in your life that keeps you awake at night? You have a friend or two or four, a group of friends who love you so much that maybe they get up in the middle of the night and they pray for you. They, they talk to Jesus about you because they know you're hurting and they care. Who carries you? Now notice the friends can't solve this man's problems but they do carry him to Jesus. Listen, I, I think maybe these next few months are as vital to our church as, as the, the months, uh, as, as any other time that I've been here in our congregation. Because I believe it is time for us to step forward in a new way as a congregation where we've got to intentionally figure out how to grow smaller so that the Lord might allow us to grow bigger. And what I mean by that is this. You know, when, when, uh, years ago when we were a church of 70 people, I figured out who wasn't here. I could call them. I could keep all the connection together. And uh, we'd notice if you weren't here for a while. You know, there wasn't many years ago, we were a church of 600 people, and the place was full. We, we grew, but you know, I, I failed, and in a sense, we failed, because we didn't develop the capacity to add on. Nothing ever stays static. We didn't keep developing systems whereby people could connect on that very small level. And so because we didn't grow smaller and tighter, when someone wasn't here, somebody was struggling, nobody knew. I, I couldn't keep up week to week. Who's here? Who's struggling? Who's just on vacation? And, and, and it was so much, if, if you didn't know, you couldn't know who was here or maybe attended a different service. And the result was we got a crowd, but it becomes really difficult to have community, real fellowship. And so we got to work much, much harder at figuring out how to develop community with one another. Chuck Swindoll years ago shared this illustration. He said, an old Marine Corps buddy of mine, to my pleasant surprise, came to know Christ after he was discharged. 
I say surprised because, man, he cursed loudly, he fought hard, he chased women, he drank heavily, loved war and weapons, and hated chapel services. But a number of months ago, I ran into this fellow, and after we talked for a while, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, you know, Chuck, the only thing I still miss is that old fellowship I used to have with all the guys down at the tavern. I remember how we used to sit around and let our hair down. I can't find anything like that for Christians. I no longer have a place to admit my faults and talk about my battles where somebody won't preach at me and frown and quote me a verse. Swindoll then says about a month later, he came across this profound paragraph. He said, the neighborhood bar is possibly the best counterfeit that there is to the fellowship Christ wants to give to his church. It's an imitation, dispensing liquor instead of grace, escape rather than reality. But it is permissive, accepting, and inclusive fellowship. It is unshockable. You can tell people secrets, and they usually don't tell others or even want to. The bar flourishes, not because most people are alcoholics, but because God has put into the human heart the desire to know and to be known, to love and to be loved. And so many seek a counterfeit at the price of a few beers. And then I think about our church, and where does one go? Say a woman discovers her husband is cheating. Where do you go with that? Where in the church can you find help when you're facing separation or divorce? To whom can you share that your daughter is pregnant and she's run away for a third time and she's no longer listening to you? Who do you tell that to? What if your child or maybe you are experiencing, we talked about gender dysphoria just a few weeks ago. Where do you go with that? Can you trust someone here? You blew it. You blew it in your job, and, and you're mixed with shame and, and unemployment, and, and, and you don't know where to go. Where do you go? Or you've just discovered that you've heard that cancer is the biopsy. Who do you share that information with? Who is carrying you? You see, God designed the church. Community. That's why we're moving as a church toward emphasizing these growth groups to carry one another. And I guess I, I need to say it, I'd love to see every one of us in our church in the next few months be a part of either something, a growth group, or a Bible study, or the Sunday morning class hour, whatever it might be, but somewhere where on a regular basis, you are getting the opportunity to know others and develop friendships that can carry you. Because we don't call ourselves North Olmstead Crowd Church. We're the Friends Church. And by the way, that is a kingdom word. It's about developing vital relationships with one another. We get together, study God's word, share together, talk, and in the midst of that, become friends. Jesus said, I've called you friends.
friends. That's what we should be. Think about this. Jesus himself knew that he could not fulfill God's mission and purpose, be obedient all the way to the cross if it weren't for his friends. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he faced the cross, he took his 11 friends with him. And this is what he said. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and you keep watch with me. You carry me. Jesus, the very son of God was saying, I can't do this by myself. I can only do what the Father is asking me to do tomorrow, emotionally, spiritually, physically, if you will stand and carry me. So when he says, stand with me and watch with me, he's saying, friends, that we need all of us to have friends so intertwined with our lives that they love you so much, they're going to stand watch for you when you're weak. And so I ask you that question, who carries you? And will you be carried? But let me take it another direction. Who are you carrying? A lot of people say, I don't need to be a part of a group. My life is fine. You see the problem with that? They fail to see that real Christian transformation calls them to be a friend to someone who's struggling. <coughs> How much more should we be involved in a group if you are at a point in your life where you're strong and you're developed and you're maturing? How much more do you need to be involved in a situation where you can support and help others? And the reality is, and this is life, you may not need them today. They need you, but you may need them someday. Maybe tomorrow. Who are you carrying? And are you willing to carry them? St. Lawrence was martyred in 258 A.D., the reason for his martyrdom was really uh, the, 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 this powerful story, at least in my eyes, of why he was martyred. We remember him, therefore, not because he died for his faith, but because he was the archdeacon of Rome. As the archdeacon of Rome, he was put in the trusted position of maintaining the sacred vessels of the church and distributing alms to the poor. However, the emperor of Rome needed some money and one day decided to go out and get it from the church. And so he went and he executed the pope, hoping to secure the stash of treasure from the church. Pope Sixtus was killed in a cemetery while he performed the liturgy for someone else's funeral. Emperor Valerian was disappointed, however, to find out that the pope didn't have any treasure. That was the responsibility of the archdeacon of Rome Lawrence. So he decided to take Lawrence captive. And he was asked, where is the treasure of the church? He was threatened with the same fate that had just befallen the Pope. And Lawrence replied, sir, emperor, I cannot get it to you this instant, but if you will give me three days, I will give you the treasure. Will you give me three days? 
something about three days I love. But the emperor agreed, and Lawrence left. Three days later, he walked into the emperor's courtyard, followed by a great flood of people. The emperor walked out into his balcony, and he said, where is the treasure of the church? And Lawrence stepped forward and pointed to the crowd behind him, lame, blind, deaf, no bodies of society. And Lawrence said, here are the treasures of the Christian church. One of God's greatest gifts to his people is his people. This person sitting next to you is of infinite worth so much so that Christ died for that person, gave himself up for her and him. And he invites us to carry that burden too. Carry that person in your heart and let them carry you. That's the vision of God's community. We need to work at that. We're going to try. I hope that uh, you will help me as we think about what it means to grow together in Jesus. Will you pray with me? Father, I just want to ask for your blessing on these next few weeks as we roll out some of these programs, but much more than programs, Lord, I pray it will be transformational opportunities Lord, I know that uh, COVID had a devastating impact on really ripping some of the seams apart in terms of community. But Lord, we are, we are launching out again in boldness. We believe that your word is true. We believe that your word still transforms. That your word brings people together. Lord, I just pray that supernaturally you would work in our church in such a way that you would bring people together so that they might celebrate what you're doing in us and through us as we learn to carry others and let them carry us. Would you help us to that end? I pray for young couples and young people that they might step out and take the risk of getting to, getting to be a part of a community. I pray for those of us who sometimes just get tired and we're unmotivated, Lord. We think we've got enough going on, and maybe we do. But somehow, Lord, we could make it a priority to give ourselves away to some others that they might experience grace and transformation. And when we are hurting, we would have someone to carry us. Lord, have your way in our church these days. I thank you for what you're going to do. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.